Praise the Lord. Thank you, Bob. We're lopsided this morning. We're heavy on the right side, or heavy on the left side, sorry. I'm honored today. When I think about the calling of the Lord upon my life, to think that I get to be a messenger for the kingdom of heaven, I consider it a high honor and high responsibility to declare the word of the Lord. And I do not want to take this for granted. I believe in this day, the church has lost the honor for the pulpit. And we have lost the honor and the weightiness of the spokesperson of God. We've had men and women, not here, but there are men and women in churches across this country who get up, and I'm not bashing, but they stand behind this pulpit and they preach the ideas of man. And they preach what's going on in the world instead of what's going on in the throne room. You will not find that man or woman here. You will find... Behind this pulpit, a man and a woman who honor the word of the Lord and who honor this thing as truth above everything else. So I thank you, River City, that at 20 years old, I get the opportunity to proclaim truth. And I don't take it lightly. I want you all to recognize that. I don't take this lightly. And it's just a Sunday. It's bread. It's just a Sunday morning. Who gives a rip? I give a rip. I care. Proverbs says there's life and death in the tongue. This goes for everybody. But right now, I have the power to release life or death into those of you who are sitting before me. I can't preach man's ideas. I cannot preach the way that seems right to a man. I have got to be faithful to share the word of the Lord. Come on, come on. I'm not even preaching yet. I'm just sharing. This is the real deal, man. No longer can we be subject to what is going on in the world. We have got to subject ourselves, surrender everything like we prayed and praised this morning, surrender everything to the King, and let His words dictate our life, and let His words determine how we are, instead of how we're feeling or instead of what's going on. And I want to be real with you, <clears throat> and I know... Many of you can say a similar story about uh, 2020 and now 2021. It has been a whirlwind of the past year. 
And I know everybody in their heads can begin to think, oh my word, we just went through a year of pandemic, political unrest, racial segregation, like never before, which is crazy. We've come so far as a nation, yet civil rights, I mean, we're still battling the same problems that we did 50 years ago. And I mean, that's just the symptom of a church who hasn't stepped up and lived the life of Jesus in reality. But guys, I mean, think about it. Last year, I mean, people laid off, losing their jobs, losing their homes, families separated, people dying and their families not even being able to properly lay them to rest because of a pandemic. I mean, think about it. Beginning of last year, there was wildfires in California, Australia, uh, earthquakes. I mean, 2020 and the start of 2021 is like straight out of the Stephen King novel, The Stand. Do you guys remember that book? Like, it's not, it's not holy, it's not like edifying to the king, but it, that's what it feels like. Super flu wipes out America, and then it's just all crazy after that. But it's been, it, it's been wild. And in my own personal life, I mean, 2020 was the greatest year of my life. At the end of 2019, I got engaged to my best friend in the whole wide world. And that's stressful. <laughs> Everybody says two becoming one is easy. I'm just kidding. Nobody says that. <laughs> Nobody says that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I didn't hear that from you guys, that's for sure. Uh, I got the honor of stepping into the role as worship pastor here at River City, I got the opportunity to dive deeper into my schoolwork and job promotions and traveling. And it's just, there was just so much, so, so much. There was actually a statistic that was shown by the CDC, Central Disease Control. 40% of Americans, actually over 40% of Americans struggled or reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse in June of 2020. That's four out of 10 people have either last year reported either suffering from a mental illness or, you know, some, some sort of depression, anxiety, or a classified mental illness, or they reported having a substance abuse problem. when everything, I mean, just went to the pot, honestly. It was a beautiful opportunity for the church to hit a reset button and step up and once again be the bride of Christ and be the influence upon the people once again, like it should be. And disappointingly, 40% of Americans reported this reality. So that tells me that in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of stress and being overwhelmed by everything, instead of turning to Jesus, or instead of the church stepping up and showing people that there's an answer outside of <laughs> we missed the mark. That's sad to say. 
I think last year was a stark reality of what happens when our churches close. And sad to say, when a lot of our churches closed, the communities around them weren't affected. And I'm not trying to preach a Debbie Downer message right now. I just want you guys to realize the reality of what we are in right now. It seems like when everything, personally, came to a screeching halt around me, it seemed like everything began to kind of ramp up in Taylor and I's life. I don't understand it, but that's what seemed to happen. I mean, can anybody else identify with that? I mean, oh, I'm laid off for a short time. I'm at home. I don't have anything to do. Not us, man. It's like we both work both of our jobs. Thank you, Lord. We didn't lose a single income. We continued to work um, and Obviously, the need for ministry increased because people were feeling the pressure, and we, Taylor just started going back to school for uh, her education degree, but I, I was in school last year and working for Becoming Love Ministries, and man, I, it's just everything kind of kept going, and so I myself personally begin to feel the weight and begin to feel a little bit overwhelmed, and it wasn't a one day, oh my word, I'm overwhelmed. It was like kind of like a like more and more just kind of get put on me. You understand? Like it wasn't like, a, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed and anxiety one day. No, it was like a day after day process of allowing everything kind of to just sit in and weigh heavy upon me. And earlier this year, um, it seemed as this Holy Spirit just kind of pressed pause. He just kind of whispered quietly that I was not bearing his yoke and I was not bearing his burden. And we read in Matthew eleven thirty that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But the reality is I was carrying something that was heavy that was not easy. And when Holy Spirit kind of pressed pause, He reminded me that I began to pick up feelings and jobs and whatever else that just wasn't of Him. And I thought I was doing good. I thought I was, I was trying to do my best, but that's just what it is. I was trying too much. And I was bearing the load that wasn't His. I then heard him ask me, where is your vision? Where is your vision, Brett? And after that, he reminded me of the scripture in Matthew 14, which is where I really want to share from today. So if you have your Bibles, I would love it if you could turn to Matthew 14, verses 22 through Matthew 14, 22 through 33 says, Immediately, he being Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he sent the crowds away, 
And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter then got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got back into the boat, the wind had stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly the Son of God. So, Father, I pray today that you would watch over your word. Father, I pray today that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would get me out of the way so that your word can be done, so that your will can come and your presence will be manifested in a greater reality. I pray, Father, that even as I share this, you would continue to minister to my heart. I pray you would touch the hearts of the people sitting before me and the people watching this online, Lord. I love you. Thank you for this honor to declare your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to put this scripture into context for you. This story in the Bible picks up directly after the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus uses five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. And we can compare these two passages of Scripture and see that the disciples, similar to the feeding of the 5,000, were actually trying to solve a solution that they weren't supposed to solve, but actually relying upon Jesus to solve. And this piece of Scripture was actually written by the Apostle Matthew, and as you guys know, he was a tax collector, Levi. He was a tax collector, and then when he met Jesus, everything changed, and he then became a disciple of the Lord. And he was writing this to the Jewish Christians in Rome. And they were experiencing a ton of persecution in that time. And I, uh, I want to get into it a, a little bit. I don't want to jump all the way in. But after Jesus died, we all know that the disciples went into hiding for those few days while he was in the grave. They recoiled the, the teachings of the Lord. No, I'm out. I'm hiding. And then when Jesus returned to them and they were all blown away, you know, Jesus walked through a wall. They're, wow, he's chewing on fish in front of them. They're blown away. And then he spent 40 days with them. And after Jesus, we know, ascended back into heaven, he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. And, um, as we know, as they waited in the upper room, in unity, in one accord, that was when the Spirit of God fell on Pentecost. And it was poured out, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. And at that same day, Peter preached the, the first message after Jesus had died. Something to think about. And the first message that was preached after Jesus Christ had been crucified, buried, rose again, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father. The first message that was preached by Peter 
they saw 3,000 people come to the Lord with one word. I mean, not one word, but one sermon. A bunch of words in there, but one sermon. 3,000 people came to the Lord because of one spirit-filled man who was no longer filled with fear, but who was actually filled with the Spirit so that when he opened his mouth, utter truth came to people who had never heard quite a truth like that until Jesus had came along. And at that point, we see in the book of Acts that um, all the Acts of the Apostles, the disciples, not all of them, but a lot of them, uh, where they were going from house to house, breaking bread together, declaring the word, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers. The church of God was advancing at an exponential rate with one man to 12 guys to 120 in an upper room to more than 3,000 in one day. I mean, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. It was like the best pandemic the world had ever seen before. But instead of a death-killing virus, it was a life-giving virus that swept into every corner because of some guys who were no longer objecting themselves and allowing the enemy to object fear upon them and buying into it. They were actually so set in their minds that the word in their heart had to get out because the spirit within them gave them a boldness like never before and so after that that you know we're still moving we're still moving and the message that they preached is that the kingdom of god is at hand they preached the message of the kingdom under roman rule and i don't know if many of you know about the greco-roman history but Rome led with an iron fist. I mean, Rome, anything Rome, Rome was it. I mean, Caesar was the guy. And uh, it was Rome. You know, I, can't, I just can't say anything but Rome, Rome. I mean, it was Rome. Can you guys get it? What was it? Rome, you know. Football team, Rome. Let's watch the Olympics. Rome. It was just Rome, man. I mean, that's it. And so when you have this powerful iron fist led nation like Rome, kingdom, and they get wind of this message that is sweeping over thousands of people of a new kingdom come, I would say, in fact, we know that Caesar and his boys gets a little frustrated and a little, I don't know, threatened. I would certainly feel threatened, but I'm sure they did of this new kingdom that was to come. And so with that, that iron fish just seemed to tighten around. And to keep a long story short, essentially they began to persecute Christians um, and Jews alike, even though the, so there were some Jewish people still in that time who were still in the pharisaical uh, old covenant mindset. But because it was Christianity and Christianity was kind of birthed out of under Judaism, they all, Roman just, boom, uh, persecuted both uh, groups. And so anyways, I mean, they were literally like, if they found out that you were a Christian, especially one that would declare the word of the Lord, which actually all of them did, <gasps> it wasn't just the man behind the pulpit, but everybody who was a believer in Christ actually proclaimed the goodness and truth of the gospel little contradicting to where we are today, but we'll get there. And so if they heard the gospel being proclaimed of a new kingdom, these Roman soldiers, officers would 
arrest, um, beat, flog, hang them upside down by their feet, boom, 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 beat them with a wooden stick all the way down, breaking their bones from their feet all the way to their hips and to their back and to their shoulders. I mean, just dipped in tar, uh, poisoned, um, so much. And the biggest thing was, they said, you can be free if you recant. If you deny this man named Jesus and say, Hail Caesar. (laughs) But when you get a people who are so sure of whom they believe and they have the faith that won't shake, you know, that they won't be shaken no matter what's going on, of course they're not going to recant. And of course they're not going to say, Hail Caesar. And with that, that usually went to execution by crucifixion and everything. It was just, it was sad. And so, Matthew was writing this to these Jewish Christians, um, some, yeah, yeah, I'll leave it at that. He was writing it to the Jewish Christians who were being persecuted in that time. And the cool thing about the book of Matthew is it is written from the perspective of Jesus coming and fulfilling every single Old Testament prophecy. And the reason why he did that is because he was writing it to Jewish people who knew all of the old covenant. And so the cool thing about Matthew, he says, everything that you once believed is true, but there was a man who came who fulfilled everything. Isn't that awesome? And so, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little historical. I'm getting happy on that trail. But because of that, they were experiencing massive amounts of persecution. And so Matthew wrote this to them for encouragement. And some scholars even believe that Peter was crucified at this point, the apostle Peter. And so a passage like Matthew 14, 22 through 33 would actually probably bring some encouragement and comfort to them. Although they were aware that, yeah, we're going to die. We're going to die because the message that we share, it may be life-giving, but not everybody likes it. So they knew, they were pretty confident in their death, but they knew that Jesus would save them. They knew that Jesus would save them even if they were alive or even if they died because they were aware that when they died, He saved them, right? The moment they breathed their last, they got to look upon their Savior, amen? Scripture says in verse 23 that after Jesus sent the disciples on, He went away to dialogue with Heavenly Father. And Jesus said in John 5, 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something that He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. He never did anything unless He saw Heavenly Father do it. And He surely never spoke anything unless He first heard Heavenly Father say it. And these times of going away from the disciples and the crowds were essential for Jesus, for him to be able to do ministry. He went away to commune with God, to hear his voice, to know his desires and his will. Um, Isaiah 50, verse 4, I believe, says, He awoke with an ear of a disciple. So when Jesus awoke every morning, he was ready to hear the mission from the Lord. He was ready to hear whatever Heavenly Father would give to him in that moment, in that day, okay? Um, I know a man, and you all know him as well, Dr. 
Craig Wesley Wrench. You guys remember Craig? <clears throat> he, was, he told uh, us a story about when he was in the Navy, and he was the Navy chaplain, right? Right? Am I getting that right? He was mom and dad chaplain? Chaplain? And what they did, since he was a chaplain, he was kind of like the head of his department, if you will. So you had your generals, you had uh, your staff sergeants, you had the guys, you know, who were above others. And so what they did every morning, every single morning, is the guys um, who were the heads of the department would come and sit in a room. And the commander, the one running the show, wherever they were stationed at that time, would come and they, he would speak to these generals. So you had your commander... And he would speak to the generals, the leaders of certain groups, and would say, this is what we're doing today, this is how we're going to do it, and this is how I want you to do it, and this is how I want you to tell the people who serve under you. And so what Craig did is every morning when he went and sat under the commander, he would write down, he had a little journal, and he wrote down everything that the commander gave to him in that moment so he could take it back and share it with the people who he was leading in that moment. And so that's what Jesus did right here. He went to the commander-in-chief. He went to the Father. He went to the God above everybody else, and he said, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? And if Jesus went away from everything else, while he walked this earth, went away from everything else to talk to the Heavenly Father. And you're going to say, oh my gosh, Brett, we hear this word all the time. Going away and listening to the Father. But in reality, hearing from the Lord is the greatest message anybody could ever declare. Becoming one with Jesus, becoming one with the Lord is a message that you will never get past in your lifetime here. As you walk this earth, the message that should constantly be going on in your head is I need to get closer to the one named Jesus, okay? So I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. We need to get away from everything else and hear from the Lord because He has a word for you that will bring life that will bring joy and peace that nothing else will. And just like the general, or just like the head, like Craig was, you have a circle of influence. Like a sheriff, you have been given a jurisdiction. I work at Weisinger Hills Golf Course in Shelbyville, Kentucky. That is my jurisdiction. This community has been trusted to River City Hope Church as our jurisdiction. Clayton Holmes, boom, that's Bob's. ALC, Shelbyville is my wife. Shepherdsville is Taylor's. We need to hear from the commander-in-chief so that when we go to the people that he has entrusted us with, we can give them something that they need to hear. Not from us, not from our own good thinking, like, you know, maybe I think if you just did this, you could be better off in life. No. You say, man, you need to get over yourself and get alone with the one named Jesus so you can have a life flowing inside your veins, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. And I I guess you guys just aren't today. It's okay. Um, But the reality is, guys, It is not just pastors or ordained ministers who are to share the gospel. 
like we mentioned earlier, every Christian, maybe not every Christian, but majority of the Christians who were on fire and filled with the Spirit in the time of the first century church proclaimed the word of the Lord like their life depended upon it, like it did. I want you to think about Stephen, okay? A follower of Jesus, a servant. That was his title, servant. And he was proud to carry that title because it was of the Father, it was of the Lord. And he proclaimed the message of God until his very last breath. And I'm not saying when you go to work, you get up on a chair, you get up on a table and start best King James out of Psalm 51 saying, repent, let the Lord clean your heart. I'm not saying that, man. Live the message of the word. Share what he has done in your life because that is the greatest message you can preach because it's been done in you. It's not a fake thing that you heard and that you're just saying because it sounds good, but it's a work that he did in you and say, this is who I was, but now this is who I am because of him. If we want to do the same works and greater, which Jesus said we would be able to do, how could we not be intentional about getting alone with the Lord? Amen? Amen. Have I beat this dead horse enough? Get alone with Jesus. I want to continue on in Scripture. Let's pick up back in verse 24. It says, The boat was a long distance away from the land battered by the waves for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were terrified and said it is a ghost and they cried out in fear but immediately jesus spoke to them saying take courage it is i do not be afraid so verse 25 says that jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night and the fourth watch of the night is actually in our time now 3 a.m to 6 a.m And that gives us a clue that the disciples were exhausted, okay? Like I said earlier, this is picking up right after the feeding of the 5,000. Like, it's not like feeding of the 5,000, take a week break, and then we're going to the next, you know. No, this is literally feed crowds, feed over 5,000 people. Scripture says 5,000 men. When it says 5,000 men, that's 5,000 men. That's not including the women and the children and we can see in context of scripture in that time and based on the families in that period that there were large families in that time okay and I I shared this um, when we had a preaching party for uh, Brazil Bible College my grandfather dad's dad pastor or not pastor Marvin I'm sorry Marvin Wright was one of 18 children. Eighteen kids. And I've been to their home, uh, great-grandma and Grandpa Wright's home, and at first, it was a two-room house. Not two-bedroom, two rooms. Did they have a basement? No. Two rooms. They had a kitchen, a kitchen cooking area, right, Dad? And then they had their living space. But their living space was everything space. They slept head to foot, okay? 
in a room, 18 kids, plus great-grandma and grandpa Wright, and eventually they added on. But anyways, why did they do that? Why did they have that many kids? Well, the Wrights were not a, um, the wealthiest of people, right, Dad? And they had, how many acres of farm did they have? Do you know? Over hundreds, right? When they had a farm of over hundreds of acres, they, and they didn't have the money to pay for ranch hands and farm hands, they concluded in their mind that their best bet was if they birthed and raised their own farm hands, okay? And in Scripture, in the time in the Middle East, it's actually really cool. And mom and dad, they went to Israel in 2019, so they actually got to see the Holy Land where Jesus walked. And in this area, it's called the Fertile Crescent. And it's in between the land of the rivers. It's this fertile ground, uh, which I don't know if it does today, but in that time produced crops that were better than anywhere else before. Like Fertile Crescent was like the fertile ground. And then you walk a couple hundreds of feet, you're in desert, okay? So in that area, it was highly agricultural, okay? A lot of um, manual labor. Um, well, obviously, Joseph was a carpenter. In his business, he raised his son, Jesus, to do that same thing. There were fishermen like Peter, and his, but he was, his father was a fisherman, and his brother was a fisherman. Like, the reason why these families were so big is because they each had businesses that they had to uh, attend to and continue working. And in order to continue to supply workers, they had children, which is interesting. So not every family had 18 kids, okay? But if we think about it, if each man, and that word man is a head of a household, it's not a young boy, it's the head of a household, okay? So that's Bob, that's John, that's dad, that's Jeremy. I mean, that's somebody who has a, a family with somebody in the household, okay? So each head of the household, 5,000. We can conclude that they probably brought their wife. If not, they heard about it when they got back. If they brought their wife, they probably brought their children as well, okay? So it's not 5,000 people that Jesus and the disciples fed. It was well over 10,000 at the least, okay? So the disciples all day before were ministering to people, and then in the evening time they fed tens of thousands of people. And what they did is Jesus was sitting upon a hill up here, and he had this little lad is what scripture says, this little boy bring his lunchbox to him with five loaves of bread and two fish. And it was the disciples' job to go to Jesus as he broke the bread and broke the fish and he handed it to them. They then took it to the thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so we can conclude if they fed over thousands of people and now they set off late I'd say maybe midnight, who knows, um, not, it's not found in scripture, but they set out somewhat late on a boat to get to the other side, and the winds and storms blow up, and when a storm comes, they aren't just sitting there riding it out, hoping it goes okay, they each are bailing water, they're tending to the sails, somebody's got the rudder, somebody's, you know, paddling, I mean, they're all hands on deck, so they do not die, okay, they were working, working, and working. And so we know, we know that if they just got off that long day 
and they're working like they were going to die, which they thought they were, we can kind of conclude that they were probably wiped out at this point. On in verse 25, we see that Jesus came to these exhausted disciples walking upon the waters. It's pretty cool. There's a guy by the name of Fred Craddock, and he wrote this in Preaching Through the Christian Year. He said, In biblical literature, the sea is often represented as the home of demonic forces hostile to God. And by walking on the water, Jesus demonstrates his godly identity to the disciples and the reader. And we can go on to say that if the sea is represented as the demonic, we can compare that these disciples fighting against the sea as Christians battling the demonic in our reality today. And you're like, I don't go in and exercise a house. I don't go and spray holy water and beat on doors with Bibles saying, get out you demons! In reality... The kingdom of darkness is always at work. There's always something going on. And the enemy's job and delight is working at you, trying to tear you down, trying to get you to disbelieve the message that you know in your heart as truth. But whatever we face, whatever may come against us, we can see in Scripture that our Jesus is powerful and is victorious above everything that desires to hinder us in our spiritual journey. He walked above the demonic forces. That means that He is actually not even dealing with them, but He's saying, you're too little for me. I'm walking above you. I am victorious. He was well aware of who He was in the Father. He was the conquering King, the victor, okay? And so if we, if we are in the midst of demonic forces, yet we cling to Jesus, we are, can be well sure of that no matter what we face, He has already won, okay? He has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. Amen, amen, amen. Come on. And that, this really kind of segues into the meat of what I want to share with you. And you're like, Brett, you've been talking for... 35 minutes at this point. I'm just getting started, guys. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. In verse 28, uh, let's start there. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Jesus said to Peter in verse 28, Come. 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 That's it. One word command. He called Peter. Come. Follow me. And just like he called Peter... Every day you wake up, the Lord is saying, come yeah. to you, That's right. to you, each one of us, Amen. not just the ones on staff here at River City, each one of us, Amen. Bob, Judy, Nanny Debbie, Jeff, Taylor, Colin, John Jersey, Aiden, everybody, 
come, follow me. When we first accept this calling, okay, I want you guys to think about that time where you first committed your life to the Lord. Or I want you to think about the time where you first knew that He had expressed the calling upon your life. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us, when He calls us, just like Peter, we step out of the boat and we start taking steps towards Jesus, right? We start off well. We're walking towards Jesus. When somebody gets saved, I want you to think about it. When somebody gets saved, and we've seen dozens of people get saved here, hundreds of people get saved here, how do they start? Yeah, I'm, let's go after the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, everything depends on it. They are on fire for the Lord, okay? And I want you to think about when you first got saved. Were you like, oh my word, I, I want to follow Jesus with everything because he saved me from myself. So we start off well. You know, we're reading, or if you're, you know, you repent, or you go to an altar, or whatever, and you, you know, you're reading, and you're praying, and you're, you know, you, you stop smoking, you stop drinking, you stop acting like a fool. And for some of us, they don't quite get that one yet. Um, you stop, you know, acting like the world and begin to be set apart and act like Jesus. But Scripture says, seeing the wind, Peter became frightened and began to sink. And when you get saved, when you answer the call to ministry, You have a target upon your back in the middle of your forehead that the kingdom of darkness wants to hit every day, time after time. Because if Jesus had one man who believed everything he spoke to him, he could take a country and he could take a city and he could take a region with one man. Guys, Peter preached one message and 3,000 people got saved. Shelbyville has over 15,000 people in it. If I could just believe the word that he spoke to me, who could be saved? And the enemy is well aware if one person just believes the gospel, everything he thinks he has on this earth is gone. His authority is stripped, is ripped away, and so he's grasping at straws, he's grasping at something to hold on to in his kingdom. And so when he sees that one person, one teenager, one man, one woman, one child, believing and repenting and turning their eyes towards Jesus, his goal is to get your eyes off of Jesus. His goal is to take your mind and steal, kill, and destroy. And the moment we allow any distraction or any circumstance to draw our gaze off of Jesus, we can begin to sink like that. One moment. It's not a... And as you begin to look away from Jesus, everything kind of goes downhill. It's a boom. You're, you look away one time, ooh. You sink. There's some people who say that we're experiencing persecution in this day as a church. We haven't even gotten started, guys. We have the opportunity 
for religious freedom here in America. And I know there's stuff, I know there's bills that have been passed, I know there's people who are saying things, but you and I can come in here every week and worship Jesus with everything we have, and nobody's going to stop us. We're not being persecuted by man. But there's always something vying for our attention that is not Jesus. When we allow distractions, when we allow a bad diagnosis from the doctor or a separation of family, a bad day at work, an ache or a pain, anything little or small, to move us away from Jesus, we miss the mark. We begin to sink, just like Pete. And that is exactly what I do when I do not yoke up with Jesus every day. I spoke to it earlier. But it is very difficult to die to yourself and let what you want go to the wayside. I hear preachers, just die. Just get over yourself. Easier said than done, man. Easier said than done. There's so many things that I want to see, that I want to be a part of, that I might never get the chance to. But I cannot let that change who Jesus is to me. I cannot let my experience change the word that I believe in Him. Amen? I cannot let daily life get in the way of Jesus speaking His truth to me. Because the moment I do, I get out of rest. I start to sink. I start to succumb to the wind and to the waves. I start to succumb to the kingdom of darkness. And when you lash out, when you bicker with your wife, when you yell at your kids, when you let your frustration out on other people, the enemy is well pleased. But the moment, by the kindness of our God, we recognize that we've gotten off track and we cry out to Him, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reaches out His hand. He immediately, and that Greek word for immediately is utheos. Utheos. And when translated back to its original definition, utheos, immediately, you know what it means? Immediately. You can't change it, man. Immediately, he reaches out and grasps our hand and pulls us out of the water, pulls us out of the situation. And I'm not saying 
if you're going through a hard point, you just call out to Jesus and he'll, you'll get out of it. I'm not saying when you're in the midst of the fire, you cry out to Jesus, you're going to get pulled out of that fire. But I will say, the moment you cry out to him, that fire you're going through, you're not going through it alone. You will have valleys. I have valleys. And I will not be able to be pulled out of those because Jesus wants to do a work through those. But he will give me the assurance that I am not going through it alone and that you are not going through it alone. And I'm not saying that we stop ministering, stop building relationships, stop building our wisdom through education, through reading, I'm not saying we will stop relaxing or stop the thing He's called us to. I'm saying we cannot let those things get in the way of us locking eyes with Jesus. In reality, at all times, there are multiple things. Buying, trying to purchase your attention away from Jesus. Our families, jobs, churches, hobbies, social media, the news, sin, new adventures in life. Just because something looks good doesn't mean it's the will of the Lord. So it's not all bad things that are going to pull you away. It can be good things that we just commit too much time to, that the Lord never intended us to. It's simple. I mean, it's, a, it's an easy, honest mistake. I want you guys to realize this. We're not dirty, knucklehead scoundrels if we miss the mark. The reality is, He just wants us to come back to Him. If you get your eyes off Jesus, get them back on Jesus. But not by your own strength. Let Him do it. And I've been to churches everywhere. Washington, down to North Carolina all over the Midwest, North, South, Texas, North Dakota, the whole, I've, I've been there, man. I've seen it. I've seen different denominations, different people worship in different styles. And one of the main things that the enemy uses to pull their attention away from Jesus is the spirit of busyness. Something going on. Pro, I don't Programs are not bad if the Lord called you to use them, okay? But don't let the program get in front of the presence, all right? Don't let the program get in front of the presence of Jesus, all right? I love that we do outreach. Jesus called us to do outreach. I love that we pray. Jesus called us to pray. But the moment we begin to put those on a pedestal before the G, uh, before the king of kings and lord of lords we missed it all right all right that's all i'll say about that you guys remember the story of martha and mary and luke 10 i don't i won't read it i'll just we'll just talk about it jesus comes to uh, bethany and uh, visits the home of martha and mary and lazarus and in scripture we see that as Jesus was teaching, Martha was creating um, a hospital environment, just trying to be the hostess with the mostess. Good things. She's trying to serve. She's making sandwiches and pouring lemonade and whatever else. I mean, like, she's just trying to serve. But she comes to Jesus and says, Do you not care? 
that I am in here slaving away, serving as my sister just lays on the floor at your feet, not helping me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary is doing the right thing. Mary is right where she needs to be. He's not looking for people who just do and do and do and do. He's looking for people who lay at his feet and trust everything he says. All right? All right. Jesus just desires us to lock eyes with him and not allow what's happening around us to take our gaze away. He really wants us to come away with him, to set everything else aside, to read his word and hear his voice. And I'm not talking about just reading a devotion or reading a book that's about Jesus on the sidelines, you know? I'm not talking about reading your proverb of the day and being done, okay? I'm talking about devotion to the King. Soaking and meditating in His Word. Talking to Him. And most importantly, quieting our mouths. Quieting ourselves so that we can hear Him speak. Okay? I want to share an illustration with you guys. When I was in the first grade, um, I was at daycare. Uh, My parents both worked, and when I was done with school, I had to go to daycare for a little bit. Maybe because they didn't trust me to be home alone. Anyways. (laughs) Yeah, right. Anyways, when I was in the first grade, um, I was at this daycare, and it was playtime. And I thought it would be an amazing idea if um, I set up, like, obstacles and stuff. And I can't even remember the other kids, what their ideas were, but mom has always said, mom has always said, in reality, Jesus has called me to be a leader. Okay? And I have this thing, and if wielded the correct way, it can be really good or it can be bad. And that's, I'm an influential person. Okay? When I was in first grade, I was a bit of an influential little guy. If I said something and talked about how it could be cool, we were probably going to do it. And so I said, let's line up five-gallon buckets and jump off the swing set and see who can go farther. You got to be kidding me, man. So I was up first. First grade me. Swinging on the swing sets, getting speed, about to fly over the top of the bars. I'm going so good. I jump off, stretch out, and very, very quickly, very quickly, I realize that my first grade chubby little body is not that aerodynamic. I don't even know. I didn't, I didn't get past one single bucket, and boom, teeth, mouth first, bam, right into the five gallon buckets. I mean, it was bad. Oh man, gosh, it just bam, bad. I don't even remember anything after that point. I just remember, like, it's still to this day, you're like, Brett, you're just making this up for a sermon. No, 
I can close my eyes and remember the angle and the view I had as I ate a plastic bus bucket in my mouth, man. I just, bam! Because of that, usually if you hit something that hard with your mouth, your teeth are a little messed up. So I had years, years of dental visits dentist visits luckily i think we had decent insurance so that it wasn't like terrible never mind we did not it was terrible i was at the dentist like every week every two weeks all the time one thing after the other and of course I, they get in there they're like oh he's got some cavities your cavities his mouth just pushed back two yards because he landed face first into a bucket man so anyways work after work after work in my mouth and what happened was I got so comfortable being in the dentist chair that I would actually begin to sleep when they worked on my mouth. It's like that warm light. I just kind of, you know, they recline the seat back. Oh, I'm just out. And what they did, they had to put what's called a tooth pillow in my mouth to where it opened up my mouth so they could continue working as I'm conked out back there. And they actually had to get mom in the waiting room to come in, because they weren't allowed to touch me, come in and say, Melissa, can you wake your son up? And so, red, red, you know, and I'm up. I got so comfortable doing that. And I want to, in something cool that dentists do, they didn't do it to me, but I heard that's what they do. When a young child visits a dentist for the first time, the dentist's main goal is to help the child get used to the feeling of having their mouth worked on. To lessen the fear, dentists often, unless you get like a really mean dentist or something, uh, to lessen the fear, dentists will actually use this practice called knee-to-knee -knee examination. And that's when a child sits on the parent's lap facing their parent, and the dentist's knees are touching uh, the parent's knees. So here's the parent, here's the dentist, knee-to-knee, -knee, all right? And the child is facing mom and dad. And what they do is they lean the child back onto the dentist's knees, okay? And this whole time, as they're being leaned back, they still see mom and dad. And as they lay back, they can still have a perfect view of the one who knows who's gonna take care of them, who's, who's been good. I know my dad wouldn't let anything bad happen to me, my mom. They just look at their parents. And as they begin to look at their parents, the dentist begins to work on their mouth. And oh, oh they aren't doing it alone. As the dentist is working, they can still see mom and dad. And the parent is supposed to, it's okay. It's all right. This is okay. And they begin to relax and accept the work. Maybe not, not me. I don't know. But they begin to be okay with it. All right? And the child continues to look at the parent's face and hear the parent's voice the entire time until they get comfortable and then they get, you know, to go back by themselves and get free toothbrushes. Check this out, guys. We've got a heavenly father that never leaves our side. We have the Holy Spirit whom Jesus gave to us to never leave or forsake us. And no matter the time of pressing, stress, anxiety, sickness, whatever, no matter what we go through, man, if we just look at our Father, everything seems to be okay. 
He just wants our gaze fixed on Him instead of the happenings of this world. And He will give you and I rest and peace that goes beyond all understanding. The only reason I got the opportunity to share this word, preach this word, is because it's exactly where I'm living. It's the word that Jesus is speaking to me day in and day out. Because I don't know about you guys, but I'll be vulnerable. This is a hard truth for me to get a handle on. Because stuff never stops. Life continues on. The good, the bad, the ugly. And it's so easy for my mind to begin to wonder and get fixed on the things that are causing me stress and worry. But He just wants me to look at Him, guys. He just wants you to do that. I have to... When Jesus spoke this word to me, I had to change my thinking in that moment and say, Lord, I will look at you. I set my eyes on you. I don't set them. I allow you to set my eyes on you. Because I can't do it on my own strength. But even though I did it that one time, it's something I daily have to do. It's something I moment by moment have to do. Because if Satan never stops trying to get my attention off the Lord. Why do I think I'm a one and done guy? Satan's not one punch and he's gone forever. No, he never stops. So why should I stop submitting my mind to Jesus and submitting my gaze to Jesus every day? Will you stand with me, please, church? I'm sorry. One hour, exactly. I have to let Jesus have my eyes every single day. In reality, you guys do too. But it first started with an act of repentance for letting the things of this world overshadow my gaze. So if you'd like to, I'd heavily encourage you to come to the altar and repent to the Lord for letting your focus be taken away. And if you say to me right now, Brett, I don't think I've ever had my gaze set on Jesus. And I'm looking around the room and I'm I recognize everybody. Doesn't matter. I will never, ever preach a sermon without pointing to the salvation of Jesus. If you have never locked eyes with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come and give your life to Him now. And if you, which I will be doing as well, want to repent 
for setting our eyes on the things of this world instead of the things of Jesus, instead of Jesus himself, I invite you to come to the altar right now and we will pray. If you want Jesus to put your gaze back on him, come. Come now. And dad's going to play and he's going to sing this song. Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his mercy and grace. So come, come church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you designed us to look at you all the days of our lives. Lord, I thank you for sending Jesus to set the example of what it means to be in relationship with you every day. But Lord, right now, we repent. We repent for letting the things of this world get in the way of what you are speaking to us. We repent, Lord, for setting our eyes on things that are not of you, Jesus. And Lord, we ask by the help of your spirit to turn our gaze back to you, Lord, to change our thinking, Father. Lord, would you turn our eyes upon you? Because, Father, we can do no thing without you. Lord, the things you have called us to mean nothing if we do not first lock eyes with you and hear your voice. So bring us back to this place, Father, so we can walk above the demonic forces so that we can walk above the distractions just like you called us to do upon the water. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. I invite you to still come, church. Come and pray. Come and pray. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His mercy and grace. I turn my eyes upon Full on your wonderful face And the things of earth Will grow strangely dim In the light of your glory and grace 
God, that no matter what we go through or what we face, we never face it alone, and that no matter how big the distraction, we can look at you and find peace and rest and find joy abundantly. So Lord, I pray today that you would seal this word within our hearts, Father, that when Monday morning comes and we wake up to go to work, you remind us of this word, to look at you. And when our family's doing something crazy or our friends or whatever, or the enemy's sending something our way, I pray that it would not steal our focus from you, that it would not take our eyes off of you. And if it does, Help us to turn back so quickly, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your spirit that walks with us every day. Lord, we love you. We bless you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the River City Hope Church podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on social media. For ways to give and more information, go to Hope, the number four, rivercity.com hopeforrivercity.com